0: Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. If you're new here, uh, my name is Mike, and it's an honor that you guys would worship with us. And anyone downstairs, uh, we're excited that you guys are with us as well. Uh, we have been in a collection of talks today uh, called Proverbs, over the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6. If you have your scripture, I want to invite you guys to turn there. Um, and we're going we're to kind of start a few verses in, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, but we are going to hit on one particular um, passage. And as studying for this, I just really felt... Um, There is an unction from the Holy Spirit or a, um, what's the word, an urgency from the Holy Spirit, I guess is kind of the best way to describe it with this. But I want to start off with this. Uh, Whenever we kicked off this series, we really started focusing on the fear of the Lord. And, and how the fear of the Lord is a good thing, it's a holy thing, it's what God um, desires for us. And, and kind of the opening statement of Proverbs chapter 1 goes through, this is the purpose statement of the entire book of Proverbs. But one particularly, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And King Solomon throughout this entire passage is trying to encourage his son as well as the readers to have a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord, a reverence for the Lord, and then to look out for wisdom to be applied to their life. And we've said this from week one, that wisdom means, literally in the Hebrew, it means skillful living that we would live our our lives in a way using our giftings and our talents in a way that is skillful and will bring glory to God. And and so what I want to start off with today is kind of a definition of the fear of the Lord, Um, and it says this, because, and the reason I'm saying this, you'll understand where we're going in just a minute, is if you don't have a proper view of the fear of the Lord, then you can look at it and it's just like this horrible thing and you're terrified of it and you think that you should be afraid of it, and that's not the case. Um, But delighting in the fear of the Lord is an awe and wonder that is demonstrated by and through humble submission to, unconditional trust in, and sincere obedience to the sovereign will of God. So the fear of the Lord is an awe and wonder that is demonstrated through humble submission, unconditional trust, sincere obedience to the sovereign will of God. And I believe right now, God is moving in the church. I believe God is moving in not only um, here in Brooklyn, but across the entire globe right now. And my hope is that today we would walk away with having this on the forefront of our mind of a humble submission to unconditional trust in and sincere obedience to the sovereign will of the Lord. Throughout this entire series, we've been looking at two paths, the path to wisdom and righteousness and justice and holy, and then the path of foolishness. And this is kind of what King Solomon gets into again this week. And so I want to pick up in verse six, and I want to kind of just talk through this a little bit because I think it's a very interesting analogy. and if you're titling this message, I've got a very cool title, "The Ant and Sin." That's my title. Very creative, right? I thought that it was funny. Um, last week was like the spider in the web and Spider-Man showed up. And so this week, um, you know, Jordy's like, what's your title? I'm like, the ant and sin. So now you know we're going to talk about an ant and sin today. Um, but anyways, verse six, King Solomon says this. He says, go to the ant, old slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Now, I think it's interesting, why on earth would King Solomon reference an ant and encourage the readers to be like an ant? And so what I did is I went to Prophet Google, and I Googled interesting things about ants, and it brought me to, I kid you not, you guys can type this in your phone after church, pestworldforkids.org. And I was like, Pest World, first off, who has a website called Pest World for Kids? Like, to me, that's... You know, and it's not an extermination company. It was a little creepy, but I clicked on it, and I learned some stuff. Um, interesting thing about ants is they can lift 20 to 50 times their body weight. This will be the equivalent of a, a second grader going out there and lifting up a large car over their head. Like, that's, in, that's insane to me. Um, Here's another thing. This blew my mind. Some queen ants, depending on the type of ant, some of the queen ants have millions of babies. And all the moms are like, ooh. (laughs) Ants don't have lungs. I didn't know that either. I guess they have an exoskeleton, and they kind of just breathe in through their, their skeleton, but they, they don't have lungs. But that, all that being said, like, okay, they can lift a lot of weight. A queen ants have millions of babies, and they don't have lungs to get their oxygen. That still doesn't answer why King Solomon is pertaining to this passage and pointing the reader to this passage. See, here's what King Solomon is getting to right here. Queen ants, as well as working ants, are very effective at getting things done, are extremely effective at getting things done. And an ant by God's creation is designed that it doesn't need an officer, a chief, or someone telling the ants what to do, they know that winter is coming and that they need to prepare for what is lying ahead of them, and they need to go and store up food and protect their ant. What is it, a hive or a den? I'm not even sure. What? A col Oh, wow, yes. I should have learned this in second grade. Um, that's the south education for you, okay? So... <laughs> Um, But like the ant colony, they've got to protect it and make sure that it's ready for whenever winter comes because guess what? Winter seasons will come and approach all of our life. And so King Solomon, he says, go to the ant, but then he says this, oh sluggard, oh sluggard. Like, and this isn't a good, like it's good to see a sluggard. This isn't one of those type things. Let's go to the baseball game, you know, three strikes, you're out. This is like, hey, You're lazy, and I need you, you need you to get to work, and so why don't you reference the ant? Because the ant doesn't procrastinate. It doesn't need motivation. It doesn't need um, a bunch of cheering and cheerleaders and and encouragement. An ant knows that there's a task and a job to be done, and the ant is willing to put the hands to the plow and to start going through and collecting the food and doing the job or the task that is at hand. Now, I, I think that that's interesting because I believe that some of us, I don't want to, don't point any fingers, some of us would fall into the sluggard category, right? We want to sleep in until 10 or 11 o'clock, hit the snooze button. We want to watch Netflix all day long or Hulu or Peacock or whatever else is out there now streaming-wise. Pure flicks, you know. Some of y'all are like, what is Pure flicks? But we, we, wanna, we would just want to kind of live life, and we think that everything should be handed to us. And what Solomon is saying is wisdom says that when it's in a season or a time of work, we have to be proactive, and we've got to get to work. This is why people that are in the investment field, they will tell you you need to start saving for your retirement um, basically the time you get out of high school. What you're doing is you're setting things aside. You're working to set aside for the future to where if there's ever an emergency or if there's ever a situation that takes place or when you get to retirement, that you're, you're able to be, take care of yourself. The same thing, though, is true in our Christian faith. I, I think far too often... And can we have real talk right now? Because I'm going to say some things, and I don't mean this is not at all against you guys. This is just my observation of the global church and some stats that are around this. But the global church, especially here in America, has a tendency to say, oh, there's a lot of work to get done. But then they put all of the work on the ministers of the gospel and the people of God just go about living their old sluggard lives not doing anything for the kingdom of God, not having any conversation in the subway or in the workplace or at university about Jesus. Now you might be sitting here saying, Michael, that sounds really harsh. Um, let me just kind of throw a few facts that are out there. This is, this is from uh, Christianity Today. 60, and this was literally like a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, these, these facts. 63% of deacons and elders in churches in America, have never won anyone to Christ 63 now if you're an elder in this church you're like oh snap like I'm not going after you at all you guys are fantastic Um, I'm just saying this is this is what the stats are 63 percent of elders and deacons have never won anyone to Christ now if you're sitting there saying man our elders they need to be doing a better job well let me keep going 95% of born-again professing Christians have never won someone to Christ. 95%. Like, okay, we see where the church in America is today off of 5% of people that are winning their friends to Christ, could you imagine where the church would be today if that five percent was fifty percent, or eighty percent, or a hundred percent? And then, and then here's the other thing: um, on average, ninety-eight percent of people do not share their faith on a weekly basis or invite their friends to church. So, real talk: I just told you, you know, we'll we'll get to yelling and hooting and hollering in a minute. I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's roughly 2 million people in Brooklyn. There's 8 million people in NYC. There's 19, 20 million people in New York State. And God has placed before us a sea of people who matter to him, who are created in the image of the invisible God, the Imago Dei, who his son died on the cross for And he's chosen the vehicle to reach people would be broken, messed up people who have been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Yet, how many people around us are living their life? How many people around us are, let's go Ezekiel 37 for just a minute, are literally dead? They're walking around, dead man walking, bones hitting the ground, and they've got no hope, they have no grace, they have no love, they have no purpose, and they don't even know that there is hope and love and grace and purpose out there because you sit next to them in a cubicle and you won't open your mouth and tell them about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Right. Wow. Like, do, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that there is a heaven and that there is a hell? And one day, every person, all 7 billion people on this earth are going to stand before Jesus Christ. And it's either going to be, I did not know you, I was wrong, or I was a different religion, or I was agnostic, or a nun, or whatever. Or it's going to be, I'm professing the blood of Jesus Christ. And I think that we have a far, 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 far too many people um, that, that think that heaven is just going to be everyone getting in there. And Jesus says, the way to me is narrow. And, and so here's, here's what I'm getting at. You know, Santi got up here a few minutes ago, and he's like, hey, we've got church on the lawn coming on, which is going to be awesome. Uh, this is my first church on the lawn. It's going to be great um, as long as it is not 100 degrees and you're dripping sweat outside. And so all of our intercessors will start praying for a nice, cool, fall-like day in Jesus' name, right? And then we've got hope rises in Brooklyn, Do you know why we do these things? Do you know why? It's not so that we can just feel good inside. It's so we can reach people who are far from God. It's so that we can bring them to a place and we can share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we can experience community and fellowship and celebrate baptisms and all this stuff that's taking place. And so listen, I want to implore you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the 100,000 people in Sunset Park that don't know Jesus Christ, for us to be bold in our invite and say, hey, um, my church is having church on the lawn. Well, what's church on the lawn? Listen, there's going to be great food there. Um, and, and You just want to just come with me. It's like, I don't know. Look, and this is the, this is the greatest thing. The building's going to burn down if I walk in. And then you can say, well, good thing is you don't even have to go in the building. It's going to be outside the whole time. So let's just go. The tent's not going to burn down. It might blow away. But, you know, it is what it. And let's invite people to a place where they can hear the gospel so that potentially their lives can be transformed. And next year they would be going through the waters of baptism. And the same thing with Hope Rises in Brooklyn, three days, three evangelistic days where we are going to herald the good news of Jesus Christ, and we're going to let everyone know in this community that we love Jesus, and we want you to love Jesus too, because Jesus loves you, because Jesus died for you. I'm spitting here, so, so, that, so that you could pray for him to save your life and be transformed. Because if eternity is at stake, and it is, should there not be more of an urgency on us as brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are we going to fall into the 98% that are never going to share our faith and invite people to church? So, King Solomon says, wisdom is like the ant. The ant that is getting to work. There is a there is spiritual work that we need to do. Let me, let me continue on. I promise you, I'm not mad. It's my, it's my allergies. Just blame it on my allergies. How long, verse nine, how long will you lie there, old oh sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And again, you can look at this both practically as well as spiritually. Practically, if you're lazy, you're eventually going to be overtaken by poverty in your life. And then you're gonna be upset and you're gonna blame everyone else when really King Solomon's like, if you would have just worked and if you would have just been wise with your finances, if you would have been diligent and disciplined, but the same thing is true spiritually, isn't it? He he talks about um, waking up from your sleep. He he talks about how if you're constantly just putting things off, spiritually speaking, you're not going to be building yourself up. This is why it is so important for us to be daily in the word of God. This is why Pastor Joyce during Lent and then beyond that did spiritual habits and disciplines to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as we grow, as we develop, we become more and more and more like Jesus, having more grace, having more love, having more peace, having more joy. And then spiritual poverty can't come in and settle in. This is wisdom. Verse 12, a worthless person, and he starts to shift right here, You guys still with me? Some of y'all? All right. That's cool. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, desires evil, continuously sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly, and in a moment he will be broken beyond healing. Now, I think it's interesting because King Solomon uses something that all of us have and ultimately all of us can use for the kingdom and for the glory of God, right? Our mouth, he he references our speech. He says, a worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech. You know, we we read about this in 1 John about how we bless God with one breath and then curse our brother with the next. And and how um, Ephesians 4.29 Paul warns us to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only what is edifying and lifting up to the body of Christ or to the saints, right? But how often do we fall in this category of crooked speech, especially whenever you're driving down 287? Oh, that's not you? Mine is, is the GW Bridge. I kept getting those little speeding tickets from the Easy Pass. I was like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. So now I go five miles per hour and everyone's honking their horn behind me. I'm like, I'm not getting another speeding ticket. Get behind thee, Satan. But like our crooked speech, God gave us this mouth to herald the good news. God gave us this mouth to encourage one another. God gave us this mouth to lift each other up, to hold each other accountable, to call people to a place of repentance and and encourage them in gospel community. And how often do we use our mouth for wickedness? Again, two paths, wisdom, foolishness. And And then he continues on, the winks of his eyes, signals of his feet, Points with his finger, again, eyes that can look out and see God's glorious wonders. But instead, we allow it to feed ourselves with, with pride. Or feet, right? Scripture talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who spread the gospel. But here we see that it is being used in a way that is glorifying Satan, or points with his fingers, right? Our hands, our hands are, are designed to do the work of God, to be the hands and feet of God on this earth. But how often do we use our hands for evil things? And, and so here's the thing. Anything that God gives to us is common grace, is something that is for all of creation to bring him glory and to fulfill us and give us joy can also be used against God for the kingdom of darkness. And, and so it's, it, it's, it's so incredibly important to understand there is a counterfeit to everything that God tries to do. And sometimes we fall into the trap of being a part of that counterfeit with our slandering words, with pointing the finger at people, with looking at people with haughty or lustful eyes, or um, running towards evil. Meanwhile, Jesus is up there saying, no, 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 no. Um, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those that have got clean hands and a pure heart, right? We talked about this last week. Rid your hands, O sinners. And and so he, he continues on in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. And so so King Solomon, he gives this list. And I think it's interesting because we, whenever we think about God, whenever we talk about God, we are constantly thinking of like the grace of God, the love of God, the, the justice of God, the holiness of God. It's always these good things. But scripture is explicitly clear that there are things that God hates, and these are some of them. He says, haughty eyes. He's talking about pride right here. L- listen, Christian, God hates your pride. Like, well, Michael, I, I thought God didn't hate me. You know, God loves you. He hates Your pride. And it's usually your pride that ends up leading to other sin, that leads to abuse towards other people, that leads towards manipulation, that leads towards uh, infractions and unforgiveness. Why? Because you're too prideful to recognize that you've got an issue that you need to bring to complete submission to God. God hates your pride. Well, Michael, I'm not a prideful person. I said, okay, well, you know, you know, we're real quick here in the church, and, and, I mean, and again, I'm talking the global church, right? We're real quick to call out um, the big sins, right? right. Sexual identity, um, you know, abortion. We're, we're, and, and listen, we, we should. Um, what are some other big sins that are out there? You know, murder, murder yes, injustice, we're real quick, but whenever pride comes up, I'm not prideful. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to stay over here and go in my little Christian cubicle. I'm just going to sit right here. I'm not prideful. Oh, did you see what they did over there? Oh, did you see the pride that's in your heart over here? And you're sitting there condemning all of those people who don't have a relationship with God. Meanwhile, you're the one who's supposed to be righteous and holy, and you've got so much pride and filth in your eye that you can't even see straight, and God is wanting to get in there and to rip that sucker out so that you can walk and lead in humility. Man. God hates a prideful church. I don't want to be that prideful church. This is why. Bishop, and I've shared this, I know, to the elders and to the leaders. Man, a few years ago, and this is not in my notes, so I'm going, going with it. You guys just bear with me. A few few years ago, um, I'm speaking at this conference. Bishop's there, and, and Steve Hannett, and a few other people, and Jim Jorgensen. And you know how a prophetic conference goes, right? A prophetic conference, nothing stays on time. And I'm all about, like, I'm already out of time, but I think that they gave me the wrong time back there because... Do I? I'm good. Well, I'm good. I'm good. There's like, you got five minutes. You got five minutes. Like, all right. So. But I'm sitting there at this, at this conference, and I get up to speak on this topic, and Bishop Joe ended up saying something, and I've shared this before, but he said out of Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the fivefold ministry, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling with all humility. And I got up there to preach, and I was so angry, I was so frustrated, and I get up there to preach, and I wasn't even going to talk about this, and I open up my Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, and I read that part right before I started to preach, and I broke down weeping, and God said, Michael, you have lifted yourself up pridefully, and I am bringing you back down to humility. And ever since that moment, I'm telling you, it was one of those, Jesus hit me in the jugular, and it was amazing and liberating and freeing, and God, I want to walk in humility. I want to be someone who is known to be humble, someone that is, and now you might be sitting there saying, Michael, you're being very prideful. I'm not being prideful. I'm telling you, like, humility is making less of me and more of somebody else, And that's what Jesus invites us to. Humility is about assuming the best of somebody else instead of assuming the worst of somebody else. Humility is about taking off your jacket and handing your shirt to the person who needs it too. Humility is about, oh, you need someone to help you get to 9th Ave. Why don't I take you also to 36th Street, which many of you guys have done that for me. Thank you very much, all of you humble leaders and, and Esteban and Pastor Tom, and people who've driven me around. God bless you. That's humility. Humility is like, hey, your enemies are angry with you. You should just curse them and die. No, humility is praying for those who persecute you in loving your enemy. Back to my notes. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. This is something, this is a pet peeve with me too. I can't stand liars. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm standing up here and I've lied before. But those people that are just pathological liars and everything, you know, is a lie. It's like, man, it's so beautiful outside. Well, no, it's green outside. The sky's green right now. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, oh, no, you know? That's a horrible analogy. But you guys, that did not land well at all. Look, at least I'm being honest with you, right? But a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood this is why and i don't know where you stand politically on this and to be honest with you i don't care but this is why whenever we say pro life we're we're talking about the life of an innocent child in the womb an innocent child in the womb but also at the same time you're talking about a life Of someone who I don't think that it's man's place to take life. And and my Bible tells me God hates it whenever there's the shedding of innocent blood. And so I'm just going to leave that there. A heart that devises wicked plans. Have you ever been around people and it's just constant? They're just wanting to do wicked things? Or people that run to evil, false witnesses that sow discord. See, false witnesses that sow discord. Discord comes because someone's being prideful, and pride ends up, man, do you know how many churches have been split? Do you know how many people have been broken because of accusations because of false witnesses, because of pride. Jump with me to James chapter four real quick, and I just wanna read this passage. James is like the New Testament Proverbs. And, and James, you know, we did a whole series in it, but he, it's written by the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And so whenever he writes these words, he I mean, they carry a lot of weight. He grew up with the savior of the world, all right? And he says this in verse six, but he, being God, gives more grace, which I think is so encouraging and so comforting. God gives us grace. So whenever you feel like you can't do it, his grace is there. But then it says this, therefore, it says, ready, God opposes the proud. So earlier we said God hates pride and proudful people. Now it's saying God not only hates it, God is opposing you. So when you walk into the presence of God and you've got a prideful heart and you're all puffed up and you think that it's all about you, God is not for you. He is actually opposed to the wickedness in your heart. And, and, and this is why, like, right, it isn't, um, this, is, this is why this is such a big thing because almost every other sin can end up being traced back to there being pride in our heart. Because of pride in our heart, we elevate things, we idolize things, and they take lordship over Jesus Christ in our life because we think our ways are better than God's ways. Well, turn on the news and see how that's working out for people. He continues, says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he gives an antidote to your pride, and this is what I love. Submit yourself, therefore, to God, Resist the devil, he will flee from you. So you might be saying, Michael, maybe I am dealing with a little bit of pride. If you're thinking that that's the case, then you probably are, and that's okay. There's grace, and well, how do we get to that grace? We submit it to Jesus. We submit it, submit yourself to to the Lord. We resist evil, and the promise is he, meaning Satan, will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. What that means right there is get to a place where you are allowing God to break the stuff in your heart, to humble you. That, That conference that I was at, I literally preached for 30, 40 minutes, and I wept the whole time. I got up on stage to take the offering the next day. Kid you not. Got up on stage and I was fine. Worship's good and everything and I get up on stage and I grab the microphone and I'm just like, you know, we're about to just... And boom, it happened again. And I, I couldn't even... I was like, I can't even... I wasn't even preaching that Sunday. I was like, I'm supposed to be taking up the offering. I can't even take up the offering and I handed it off to an intern. We had a great offering that week too, you know? It was like... But... Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. And then verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. God, humble us today. God humble me today. You know, King Solomon talks about an ant and an ant gets to work and we should be like an ant. Because an ant is humble enough to recognize if he or she doesn't do what he or she needs to do, there's going to be nothing there for him or her. An ant is also humble enough to fall in line and to work together. An ant is humble enough to be able to fight off predators and protect the colony and recognize that it isn't about that one ant, it's about the greater good. And I'm not calling you an ant today, I'm calling you sons and daughters of God. And we need to be in this together and we need to be living on mission because there's work to get done. Humility causes you to recognize that the people that you're sitting next to on the D train matter and are important in the image of God. And that you're no better than them, you just have the answer, and the answer's Jesus. Humility causes you at Chase Bank, which takes God forever long on 49th or 50th Street, whatever it is, that the teller behind the window and the security guard that's making you wait outside in the hot and the humidity and you're sweating and you're stinking, that's, y'all know what I'm talking about right there. That security guard matters to God. And they are just as frustrated as you are. They have to wear black and have on a little badge and do their thing and tell people no all day. What do you do for a living? I tell people no. What, what do you mean? Well, they get in line and they want to go in and I tell them no, you got to wait your turn. Like how? What a motivating job. You know, like, but they matter to God. Man. For me, it's the hotel clerk. He or she matters to God. And humility Humility will lead to an eternal perspective that will guide us, that will lead us, and that will direct our steps. As I wrap up, I promise you, I'm wrapping up right here. I wanna read this passage. My son, keep your father's commandments and not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart, tie them around your neck, and when you walk, they will leads you and when you lie down they will watch over you and when you are awake they will talk with you for the commandments replace that with the word of God the commandments of God the word of God is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the ways of life King Solomon's, what he's, what's he saying? He's saying, I want you to desire and delight in the fear of the Lord, in the awe and wonder of our Heavenly Father, and allow that to be demonstrated in you through humble submission to, unconditional trust in, and sincere obedience to the sovereign will of God. Because eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. Will you stand with me this morning? Before we close out with one song and I would be the fool if I got up here and I preached about eternity and I didn't give an opportunity for those to respond. And so I just want to encourage all of us to just close our eyes and bow our head out of a moment of privacy for those around us. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have walked away and you need to recommit your life to Jesus, I want to give you this opportunity in just a moment. Maybe you're sitting there saying, Michael, I I just feel like I'm too far gone, I'm telling you that there is a Savior who's going to end up piercing the eastern sky, and he's going to return with legions of angels, and he's coming back for you, and he's coming back for me because he so loved this world, and that Jesus wants a relationship with you. And so if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like you to just lift up your hand right now, just where you are, just real quick, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I want to invite all of us to pray this prayer. Father God, I'm giving you my life. I'm submitting to your will. I ask that you make me afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And allow your spirit to transform me. I confess that you are my Lord. And commit my ways to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We pray that you are blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at ResurrectionChurchOfNY.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at ResChurchNYC. Take care and God bless.